Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Sean Smith. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, and RJO Futures. Today I spoke with Managing Director Derivatives Licensing at FTSE Russell, Sean Smith. Sean is a great friend of mine and a mentor, so it was an honor to have him back on the show today. We kicked off by talking about his background in the futures industry, and he shares with us one of his favorite stories from the pit. We talked about small caps, Russell 2000 futures, the growth of micros, ESG futures, and last but not least, we talked about the upcoming Russell Recon. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Sean. Sean, welcome back to the show. Anthony, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, Sean, you've been on the show a bunch of times before in the past, mostly when we're at conferences from Boca to GFLC, always in warm places. And, you know, this time it's just you and I. And, and I always say every time I see you, you're like a walking piece of futures history. You've, you've been around the industry for a long time. You've done so much in the industry. And I always love hearing your stories about the past. Why don't you share with us a little bit about your background and what you've done so far in the futures industry? Happy to. Um, I could I could actually start before the futures industry because I was a previous equity derivatives trader on the on several trading floors in New York. I started as a runner on the Philex, the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, back in the '80s before the crash of '87. So my history goes goes way back. But uh, was a trader for uh, an options trading firm, Chicago based, but always uh, on the East Coast, and then moved back to Chicago uh, in the early '90s and and traded in the S&P options on the CME floor, open outcry, and then moved into the euro dollar pit and traded euro futures and options for several years. Before, As the markets turned electronic, I, I went to the brokerage side of the business. I ran uh, a couple of operations at two FCMs, futures commission merchants, two banks. Um, and then in the early 2000s, I went to work for CME Group. And I've been on the exchange side of the business ever since. It's been a a tremendous career path. And along the way, I have just really built up uh, tremendous relationships with so many exchanges, so many futures industry people, uh, uh, regulators, um, uh, floor traders. I, I, I have tremendous relationships uh, to this day. But, you know, some of the key things that I was involved in when I w- went to work for CME Group uh, back in the early 2000s was I, I was global head of FCM relations. And at that point, there was a lot of uh, angst that the CME was bypassing FCMs. They had this word called disintermediation. And 
They were really worried about CME and, and being partners with the key distributors and risk managers that are the FCM community. And, and I was really focused on us uh, developing that business so that we work in partnership with uh, our key member firms. And I had a tremendous experience there. And, and while I was in that role, um, being a former CME floor trader, I was tasked with working under the then vice chairman of CME Group. His name is Jim Olaf. He has since retired, but still a, a very good friend of mine. But he was uh, tasked by Chairman Terry Duffy to manage the electronic transition. And uh, Jim Olaf managed and chaired the electronic transition, transition committee. And they were uh, chartered with transitioning much liquidity from floor trading, open outcry to an electronic venue as best they could. And I was uh, Jim Olaf's key man on, uh, in, within the management group at CME Group to transition that business, being that I had so much floor trading experience and I knew the floor community so well. So some of the things I did were I built uh, an education room where it was a, a simulation trading room with real-time data uh, screens, much like you would see in a in a, an active trading room at a bank or a proprietary trading firm with TV screens, various front-end systems, trading technologies, CQG, all the, all the big names. I had systems, they came in and they would teach, teach classes on how to use these systems. Um, and I also had inspirational speakers come and speak to a lot of the members in uh, various venues. One of the more famous people I had come in and speak was uh, a professional football player that was part of the part of the Super Bowl Bears team. I had Gary Fensick come in and speak because Gary, one was a Yale grad, um, got his MBA from Northwestern. I, uh, I I ran into him just coincidentally on a, on a flight to Japan at, at some point and asked him to come in and speak about transitioning from professional football to investment banking, which he actually did successfully and used that as a as a uh, a venue to talk about mind um, so that people's people think that they can do something other than trade in, in an open outcry environment. So he came in and talked about transitioning from, from being a, a professional athlete to investment banking. Just so, so I could get members thinking in terms of a mindset that there's, there's, there's a way you can add value to this marketplace post open outcry as, as this market transitioned. And, Gary was amazing. Uh, and of course I had him sign up a bunch of footballs for various CME folks for, you know, members and board members. And of course I took uh, a football for myself. So uh, it was uh, a great experience, but had a lot of, had a lot of that type of uh, interaction with one with CME management, two with uh, the board at CME group and along with all of our, all of the, all of CME, CME's floor members at that time. So it was, actually a great experience. So I've really transitioned from open outcry, trading equity derivatives on floors in New York to trading futures and options on CME Group's trading floor, and then going to the exchange side of the business uh, to, to help grow the business from the exchange side. And most recently in the last three years, I've transitioned to the index side of the business, um, working with uh, FTSE Russell, and helping grow that futures and derivatives business with our exchange partners. And it's been a, a fantastic opportunity and I'm truly enjoying myself working continuously, growing CME's business, growing SIBO's business, growing other 
exchange partners, uh, businesses around the world that uh, FTSE Russell does business with. So it's been uh, uh, a great ride, and I can tell a million stories, Anthony, uh, about uh, floor trading. I've, you know, I've got a ton of them, and uh, hopefully we can get into some of those entertaining stories later in the show. Yeah, well, you said you have a million of them. Just share one. Um, a, a famous story um, was uh, I was standing in the Euro dollar pit and in came this young blonde haired kid uh, walked out of the options pit because uh, I stood right at the options pit. He literally stepped into the futures pit and he asked where front month futures were. And it was this young kid. And all of a sudden, he, everybody screamed the market at him, one, two, one, two, or um, I can't remember the exact quote, but he started buying thousand lots from various large traders in the pit. And everybody kind of looked at each other and said, who is that guy? And then somebody turned to somebody and said, that's Doogie. And everybody was like, well, who's Doogie? And then sure enough, that person was Don Wilson, who's the, the founder of DRW Trading. And it was him hedging, hedging a, a, a very large options position that he had just put on in the options pit. He came into the pit to hedge it himself rather than give the order to a broker. But it was one of those moments where, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like or who you are or how big you are, because, you know, there was a, a lot of time where liquidity providers went not to the biggest order in the pit, but to the tallest guy in the pit because brokers could see over the crowd and the tallest guy in the pit would have his hands up and, he would absolutely get the trade because brokers could actually physically see him. So it was uh, interesting that, you know, kind of dynamite and order flow can come from all sizes in open outcry. So I thought that was just a really interesting moment uh, to see that actually happen. Yeah. You know, and, and we talked a lot about how you've been through transitions and I'm so thankful for everything you've done to transition from pit to screen because I am really somebody who was able to start and see the pits and see how the markets work before the screens. But once the screens became available to us, as you know, I was one of the very first screen traders. And for me, it just provided such a great opportunity for someone like myself who wasn't tall. And when I stood in the S&P pit, I was actually in one of my recent podcasts I was talking about, I, st I stood in front of Earl. I don't know if you may, you may or may not Earl, but Earl's 6'8". And every time I turned around, I was like looking at, into a wall of a man. I'm like, nobody's ever going to see me, let alone <laughs> trade with me. So it was, uh, you know, I'm so thankful that we are on, on electronic markets to give me the opportunity to, to, to have a career in, in trading. I say, actually, every time I see Leo Malamed, who you and I talk to all the time, every time we see him at a conference, I always go up to him and shake his hand and go, Leo, thank you so much <laughs> because you gave me the opportunity to be a trader uh, on the screens. And, and he's always so, so grateful and gracious every time I see him. Yeah. Leo brought Globex. Leo is the, was the, the incredible mind that brought that electronic system, uh, to see me group, just, a a really exciting person. You, you do, you feel proud of being in the industry when you, when you shake his hand and, uh, and you share stories with him, um, and talk about an active trader, that man, I, I'm sure he's still an active trader. Well, when I was in his, I was in his office a couple of years back. I go in, he just puts his finger up for a second and goes like, "Be quiet." And he was talking about something he was doing with the market. <laughs> in his office, we talk about uh, a piece of history. His office is unbelievable. Every time I go in there, I'm just looking around at all the different things he's done. He's just. I, I, we could talk all day about Leo, but I want to talk about some things that are happening. Actually, today, you and I got on this call right after we heard 
Chairman Powell speak. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what he said today? And we'll stay specifically into maybe some of your thoughts on on how what Powell had said uh, impacts the small caps. Great, great question. And yeah, we were actually just watching Chairman Powell speak. I'm I'm not going to obviously comment on his speech other than uh, some really important points to to give our audience things to think about. And that is the things that the Federal Reserve does, things that our regulators do, things that uh, the government's trying to do. And what the key thing they're trying to do is, one, obviously, um, help this this country and the world out of this pandemic that we're in. But secondly, is, is the economy itself and bringing our economy back and bringing workers back. And as various lawmakers and our financial leaders like Mr. Powell are doing are trying their best to keep this economy going and strong. And the best way to do that is to bring our workers back uh, to their, their positions in companies and small caps are those companies here in the United States uh, primarily they're mostly domestic companies. So the, the benefit, the benefactors of these incentive plans and things like uh, small business loans being increased or, uh, a new a new program being uh, uh, brought up by the House and the Senate to bring you know three trillion dollars back to the economy in the United States in this next round are all things that are trying to benefit our economy and these companies within the United States that bring back uh, uh, our U.S. employees and those are small caps. So that's why you see small cap the small cap index the Russell 2000 step up and, and outperform other benchmarks in the marketplace. So you get, you get the big swings uh, to the upside with, uh, with the, the Russell and outperforming as it's done in the last few weeks. Yesterday, obviously, it outperformed to the downside as the Russell 2000 stocks do. There's, you know, they're smaller in nature. Um, the sectors are, are, are heavily weighted in, in uh, things like uh, financials and, and healthcare. You know, healthcare is one of the reasons the, the index has been outperforming as as these numbers in the pandemic level off and, and improve. Healthcare is where more people will be able to get back to their jobs to do things other than uh, uh, help patients that have the uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus. And these uh, these healthcare work companies do other services that hospitals and other uh, medical providers haven't been able to focus on that generate revenue for their companies. So that's why uh, one of the reasons you see outperformance in the Russell 2000. So this index and the futures contracts at CME are just a tremendous vehicle to get in and out of that volatile index as it, as a, an investment vehicle, as a hedging vehicle, um, as a speculative vehicle. And, it, it trades in the hundreds of thousands of contracts at CME, and it's just a fantastic product for people to take a view as you hear things on TV or uh, read uh, about these in, in several of the, the newspapers online and in other places. But small caps react to these numbers in, in a big way. So uh, I I see the Russell 2000 as just being a tremendous trading opportunity uh, for the trading community. Personally, I trade the Russell on a regular basis, and it's really the only other product besides the E-mini S&P out of the major indices that I trade. And it's really because on a consistent basis, 
it has pretty good volatility. Now, right now, everything's volatile. So, you know, that's it's just we're just in a, in a crazy time. But in general, the, the, the Russell has consistently pretty good volatility. What are your thoughts on why the Russell is probably one of the more volatile indices out there? Russell 2000 um, has various sectors that really drive the, the index pricing, and it has to do with the sectors and their weightings, right? So um, unlike large caps or NASDAQ, uh, NASDAQ, which is heavily technology-weighted, uh, the Russell 2000 has financial services and healthcare and uh, producer durables and consumer discretionary uh, weightings that are your top, your top weightings within the Russell 2000. So these are all... These, these smaller companies that are domestic in nature and when there's and, and, and really tend to lead the charge coming out of recessions as their business models are just quicker to respond to improvements in our economy. So small caps are uh, those key drivers. NASDAQ kind of uh, sometimes lead the, the charge and then other, other markets follow. The fact that the, the weightings in the Russell 2000 are are more on the financial and healthcare uh, side and less in technology, it's not going to follow that big technology lead as you get into large caps and into the, uh, the NASDAQ 100. So that's why Russell acts the way it does on its, on its own is because of those weightings. But uh, it outperforms to the upside, but it's, it's also very volatile to the downside because of those weightings. So it's, it's uh, what I like to call is uh, a tradable, investable index that really represents the U.S. economy in a big way in these days. Hey, everybody, a quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 index futures contract symbol RTY. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit footsierussell.com. Yeah, it's such an important market to watch right now. I wish that the mainstream media would talk about it a little bit more because it actually has, in my opinion, it's actually more relevant to the U.S. market than maybe some of the other indices that are talked about on a regular basis. Absolutely. Um, it is definitely more U.S. revenue-based and less uh, sensitive to global events. But there is a, a small piece of uh, small caps that supply those bigger large-cap companies in some way. So there is some global exposure in small caps, but it's just not as, as large as uh, in large caps. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's really based on, uh, on the U.S. economy and, and the numbers here. Yeah, there's, there's definitely global effects that impact uh, small caps, but it's, it's definitely more sensitive to, uh, to U.S. Uh, uh, events rather than global. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, the micro because we've actually had, just recently we had the one-year anniversary for the micros, and it's obviously been a huge success for, for all of the indices, the NASDAQ, the Dow, the S&P, and the Russell. How have you at FTSE Russell looked at the micros thus far? 
Well, first of all, congratulations to CME Group. Um, you know, Micros has been the most successful launch of a, a futures product in their entire history. Uh, and it was, and it's quite an honor to be part of that launch with the Russell 2000 Micros. We couldn't be happier with the performance of the product at CME Group and the volumes that we're seeing come, come uh, for interest in Russell 2000 Micros. It's been a, a tremendous growth and volumes have just skyrocketed and and it's just really really exciting to see not only is it are is it the volume but it's the diversification of who's trading the product um, and the fact that it's global so there's a, a major distribution excitement uh, that uh, you know folks in Asia are trading the product there's uh, there's numbers uh, volume numbers coming out of Europe and all, uh, obviously out of uh, the United States as well but the fact that this thing trades around the clock and has global distribution and along with the sectors that trade segments in the market that traded and, and the fact that there's institutional interest in the product as well tells you that the entire ecosystem is benefiting from Russell 2000 micro as a team group. And we couldn't be happier uh, that, that uh, we're seeing this and very excited to see it continue to grow. So, Basically, I think you answered this question already, but I, I guess I'm curious is have the addition of the micros helped the volume of the, the Russell product itself? Has it helped the volume of all Russell products or has it taken away from those other products? Well, you know, we, um, well, to, to answer your question uh, with a short answer, the answer is absolutely yes. It has helped uh, all Russell products trade because let's let's take for instance uh our our Siebel partner uh down the street they have russell 2000 options uh on the index the cash settled options not the options on the futures that cme has but every 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 trader that trades russell 2000 options with the symbol rut rut uses cme's futures to hedge those positions so so you've got a, a an interesting ecosystem dynamic here you've got Russell Micros, people trade a lot of Russell Micros and then will trade a Russell Mini to hedge against their the every 10 lot that they do in the Micros. So there's this Micro Mini uh, dynamic trading, but there's also this option hedging going on um, from SIBO. And there's a lot of traders that like to really hedge down to a, a smaller delta, not to get into Greeks, but delta is what traders use to hedge their, their uh, overall uh, exposure in, in the values of the index, right? So they use futures to hedge that, that delta of their options. And traders like to, to manage that down to, a, to a, a, a nice small number, and the smaller that number can be, the better for, for options traders. So they're, they're using the micro to do that as well. So it's uh, an incredible ecosystem across exchange, uh, and across CME product. Uh, and again, that small cap, large cap trade is uh, something to be looked at as well. There's, there's uh, a lot of interest in uh, the fact that the weightings within the Russell 2000 index versus large caps, the Russell 1000, which is another futures contract that trades at CME Group, um, creates another trading opportunity. So you've got, you've got the large cap 1000 at CME Group and you've got the 2000 small caps so there's there's two products there that has that have uh, uh, have great trading synergies as well. 
Something I've been hearing a lot about is the futures industry getting so many new players in it because of the micros. I know that the micros are probably bringing in a lot of newer traders, traders that maybe have never traded before into futures. But I have been talking with a lot of my ETF friends and just other people in the industry that have now started to come in and use futures specifically because of the introduction of the micros. Are you seeing that on the Russell side as well? Like, are you seeing new people come in to futures markets because of the introduction of the micros, specifically the micro e-mini Russell futures? There's, there's no question that those trading securities versus futures is growing quite a bit. And, you know, you, you see this at uh, the various uh, brokerage firms that uh, enable the trading of one uh, security versus a future in their platforms. And it's really exciting to see because of the fact that the micro is smaller notional, it's definitely being traded versus uh, security products like ETFs and has just enhanced liquidity in the uh, futures contract so that you can uh, trade those products. And again, you have benefits of futures versus securities, um, not to get uh, technical, but you know, you get, you have the benefits of uh, margin, uh, you have margin uh, benefits in trading futures. Um, you have margin offsets, uh, product versus product. Um, so there's, there's a lot of reasons why there is the, the increased liquidity in the futures contracts because of the, the synergies on the security side with ETFs and products like that. So absolutely, you're seeing, you're seeing traditional um, uh, stock and ETF traders trading futures now. Because, and again, it's, it's also because of the, the fine education they get from, our, uh, from the brokerage firms that, that, that enable that, those being the TD Ameritrades and the E-Trades out there that do such a fine job educating uh, their customers. When you and I were chatting the other day, you were mentioning to me the Russell Reconstitution. Russell Recon uh, happens once a year, um, and it is where the uh, Russell 1000 and 2000 family at, at Foots Russell stays relevant to the marketplace, right? So there's, there's uh, stocks that uh, graduate into the Russell 1000. There's stocks that go from the Russell 1000 back into the Russell 2000. They, they actually move from small caps to large caps. And it's all based on a rules-based methodology used to maintain and uh, keep Russell indexes designed to uh, ensure that uh, uh, investors are, are getting what they need out of, out of our indices. So once a year, FTSE Russell reconstitutes those indexes so that they stay relevant to the marketplace for our investors. And every year, uh, there's a, a public schedule that you can go to footsierussell.com and uh, actually it's right on the front page. Russell Reconstitution is one of the tabs. And you can uh, see um, the preliminary list of indexes that comes out in June, early June. And then there's um, lockdown periods as to what the index is going to look like at Reconstitution Day, which culminates at the close on June 26th. And June 26th is the day where on the closing bell, those, those, those stocks exchange. And it's usually, historically, the largest trading day of the year 
of the combined New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. So it's a, it's a very, very exciting day in the marketplace. And there's lots of eyes and there's lots of, uh, of folks talking about recon prior to that event. And, um, and when the markets open on June 29th, the indexes will be uh, reconstituted and traded going forward. But Russell, recon happens once a year. Um, and it's a really exciting time to be in the market. So the trader in me has to ask you this question. What does the market typically do on Russell Recon Day? Is it a rally day? Is it a break day? Is it a range day? You know, that's a great question, Anthony. Um, and I have to tell you that regardless of what happens during recon, the, uh, the question is, is it a more volatile day? Does recon create volatility in the marketplace? Um, does, does a highly volatile market affect um, uh, what happens when this reconstitution transaction takes place? And the answer is unfortunately that the market has been anticipating this transaction, this reconstitution through the month of June. So culminating on the closing bell on June 26th, the stocks exchange and trade in a massive, massive amount of volume on the close, which really eliminates the volatility from that transaction. So um, I think the, the trade, and I, of course I don't recommend any, any trading, is opportunities uh, in, the, in the indexes as this culminates to, to the June 26th closing date. But uh, again, I, I don't recommend trades, but it's, it's definitely a time to be watching the market. And to go to the FTSE Russell website to see uh, all the information that you would like to see in regards to our reconstitution, it's all there. And, and you can always reach out to me as well if, if you have questions or, and through Anthony as well. And I'm, I'm happy to give the links to Anthony uh, at some point in time, um, post the show and uh, happy to share any and all information as, as we go forward. Going to be a busy few weeks in June because you have rollover as well. So it's, I could see, <laughs> I could see a lot going on. Uh, in the Russell during those weeks. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a long-standing brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. Last question before we get into rapid fire. Look at we talked about how you've been through some major transitions in the futures industry. And and every time I see you in person, we always have great conversations. And one of the things I always pick your brain about is what do you think is next? You know, we're always looking forward. You and I are, what's the next thing to happen in the industry? What, what do you see as the next thing that's going to impact the futures industry? Um, being a, being a, a predictor, I, I see, one, our indices uh, being enhanced for improvement in the uh, investment choices that our customers want to make. And as there's enhancements in those indices that, that we create, um, there's going to be enhancements and improvements to the derivatives products that our partner exchanges like CME Group has. Like there's a real focus towards ESG um, and other products that are really innovative. You know, there's a a real need for standardization of various products um, 
so that they, they become those liquid benchmarks on the derivative side. So I would say there's going to be enhancement to product. And of course, we're a, a, a multi-asset uh, multi-asset index company. So you're going to see some fixed income innovation. You're going to see some, and clearly some equity innovation as well. Um, but I just think that we, with our partner CME group, are going to really listen more to our client base and enhance, one, the availability of products, two, the, the quality of the products going forward um, so that we meet their needs as index and uh, derivatives providers. You mentioned exactly what I was thinking. I'm so glad I asked you this question. I think ESG is something that is not talked about enough. I actually recently did a podcast with Jeremy Bacon from Imagineer, and we focused solely on ESG futures. And he really brought this to my attention. And we talked about everything that what's what's happening right now with COVID-19. And just you look at the world, and I just feel like ESG is going to be a topic that only grows from here. I, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's so much um, interest. I think the investor community is, is really aware of how their clients want to invest and what companies and what constituencies they want to uh, be focused on in terms of um, investment decisions. And ESG is definitely one of those key directions that you, you're going to be seeing lots of evolution and product in. Yeah, and just a quick reminder for those of you that maybe didn't catch that podcast, what Jeremy and myself was, uh, what is ESG? And that's environmental, social, and governance. So, yeah, Sean, always so much fun speaking with you, my friend. We are not done yet. I have rapid-fire questions next if you're ready for those. Rapid-fire questions. I'm I'm all excited. Go for it. (laughs) You don't win any prizes, but it'll be fun. Our rapid fire segment is sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You can try it now for free at tryttnow.com. First question for you, Sean. What trader has influenced your career the most and why? Oh, my goodness sakes. Um. I can say his name because he's actually retired. He's left the business. But I, when I, when I first started on the floor, this is on the Philex. I, I clerked for a, a gentleman who I would manage his Greeks. I would, I would hold his sheets. I would literally sharpen his pencils. Was a, a gentleman named Jim Kreitman, and Jim was the globe. Eventually, evolved his career. Uh, from floor trading to becoming global head of trading at Credit Suisse, the the investment bank, very senior guy. Um, we, we've, you know, I, I stood up in his wedding, uh, but he was incredibly instrumental in uh, my trading uh, because he, I, I worked for him in fast markets, and he just maintained composure and just really enjoyed trading, um, and the experience he gave me while working for him, enabled me to become the trader that I was uh, on the floor for years. And, you know, open outcry, there's a, a big part of the equation that is relationship building. And, and Jim was a master at that. And I learned so much from that. And I think, as you can see, I'm one of these relationship guys. I think a lot of what, what I learned uh, that I use to this day was uh, 
from the, the building blocks that I learned from him on the trading floor. So a, a thank you out to Jim Kreitman, and hopefully he listens to the show and hears me thanking him for that. What was one of the hardest things for you to overcome in trading? One of the hardest things in trading, um, you know, I'm six feet tall, so I'm not short, but as you said, you stood in front of Earl, yeah, Earl. with a very large back on the S and P pit. <laughs> I stood next to a guy named Mike Lang. I don't know if you remember Mike Lang. I, do, I know who he is. Yep. The Lang hey, brothers. Six, right? I think he's, I think he, yeah, there's Chris and Mike and there was Chili who unfortunately passed away way too early in his life. But, um, uh, Mike Lang, I think, was 6'8". He played uh, basketball at Bennett Academy out in Lyle, Illinois, and then went on to play in, for Penn State, full-ride scholar. Just a, a, and We're friends to this day, but that guy was a wall and, and blocked me from, from back-month futures contracts in such a big way. I wish I could just could have given him my orders to, to liquidate, <laughs> liquidate trades. I want to say that the, my biggest problem trading in the, in the futures and options pit in, at CME group was my size. Um, again, I was, I was never a huge trader because I was a, a local. I, I traded my, you know, for myself. So I wasn't uh, employed by a bank at that point. And you, 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 you were taking risk every day at your own hands as you did, Anthony. So you had to maneuver and the, the relationship part of the business came into play and, I got a lot of that, that, that skill from my friend Jim Brightman, who I talked to you about, but it was really very important that you knew who the brokers were, you knew who uh, had the big order flow, um, and, and you knew how to get yourself in and out of those transactions along the yield curve in a, in a, in a, in a fashion. So I would say the, the hardest thing I had was setting that dynamic up for a guy when you had such big monster guys like Mike Lang standing around blocking one-year view and to broker's view of you. So uh, I think that was one of the hardest things. But uh, Mike Lang to, to this day and I are, are just really close friends. So uh, I think that was the hardest thing for me to overcome. What is one attribute that you believe every trader should have? Trading discipline. Always, always know when to exit a transaction. It's very, very, very vital that you... Uh, stick to your trading discipline and it's really, really key so that you, without that discipline, your, your life as a trader is short lived as you and I both have learned. It's really, really important to always have an entrance and an exit strategy when, when, when you put that trade on there's uh, in volatility, if you're trading options, there's always a volatility strategy as well. If you had to pick a profession, other than trading and working in financial markets, what would it be? I would be in sales. I, I have uh, this, this kind of personality that uh, just, just thrives on, one, relationships, two, being able to provide answers and help to people that need it. And what better than to provide uh, a solution that someone can buy from you? And I'm one of those unique people that, once you have a, a business relationship with me, um, it's for, for a lifetime. It, it just doesn't go away. So I, I, I would be the ultimate salesman, not to be bragging about myself. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you received about trading? 
the best piece of advice came from uh, a former boss of mine when I was a trader in New York on the American Stock Exchange. I was standing in the stock Apple, and I was uh, a very large market maker, and earnings had come out, and it was a fast market. And I froze. I literally stood there and froze, and a couple of other traders from my firm noticed and called my boss and said, you got to go you got to go talk to Sean. He's not trading. There's a lot going on. We got to get things going here. And in the flurry of paper, arms are screaming and yelling, um, asking for markets and all types of spreads. And out of this huge flurry comes this face and he stands right in front of me. And all I see is John Tobin standing in front of me. And it's almost like a dream. And he goes, Hey, Sean, how's it going? He immediately snapped me out of it. He goes, Sean, you know how to do this. It's not hard. Have fun with it. Just get in there and start trading. You have a, you have a position where we're, we're all working together. It's a fantastic position. So just have some fun trading this. And he stepped out and he was gone. And then all of a sudden I snapped out of it and I started trading. It was the, it was awakening that created one of my most memorable trading days on the floor of the American stock exchange and in trading. And, uh, John Tobin, uh, who was my boss at the time, uh, did that. And I'll never forget it. If you could go back in time and give the younger you a piece of advice about trading, what would it be? My advice to myself would be, if I could, would be to, to really have confidence in what you're doing because you, knew, you know how to trade and you do it well. The market is coming to you enjoy it, understand your fundamentals, understand your trading skills and do the best you can because you know how to do it. I know you're not trading as much these days, Sean, but when you were actively trading on a regular basis, what was your edge in trading? My edge was I had a network of brokers that kept me uh, involved in the transaction. And a lot of that has to do with that, that social skill. Um, I always made a good market. I, I always made fair prices and I stuck behind my prices. And as you know, um, your word is your bond. It's actually uh, the motto on the, uh, on our company's website. So it's uh, uh, very important that your word is your bond. And when I make a market, I stand behind the market I make. And I think that was, uh, a really big part of my success. Last question for today. Favorite thing to do when you're not working? I love to golf and I love to walk my dog um, who uh, absolutely worships me. But, uh, <laughs> and I, and I'm, I've become my dad. I watch uh, CNBC and the weather channel a little too often. So there's a, there's a couple of tidbits for you. All I do is walk my dog and golf. So we're very much alike in that sense. Sean, where can people learn more about you and FTSE Russell's products? Uh, and yeah, give us a website to check out. Please, FTSERussell.com is an amazing website where you can just get so much information in regards to market analysis on various things happening in the market. We have a a pandemic uh, link right on the front page if you want to look at market analysis. So you can receive all types of equity analysis, what's going on 
uh, in various indices um, regarding to the coronavirus. There's Russell, there's small cap uh, links as you scroll down. So there's a tremendous amount of information on the FTSE Russell website. So I strongly recommend you go, you go to that. We just had a webinar yesterday, uh, including our CME and CBOE partners on small caps and the, the, the movement during this pandemic. It's a great webinar that's going to be posted on CME Group, FTSE Russell, and on CBOE's, uh, CBO Global's website. So please uh, check that out. I think everybody could benefit from that. But FTSERussell.com is just a, a, a wealth of really valuable information that I think would really help educate and teach a lot about one, our products, our indices, but also um, give you that, that really good information to help you trade in the marketplace. And you can always reach out to me at smith at footsierussell.com. I'm happy to answer your questions. Sean, you're a great friend. You're a mentor. You're a fantastic person for the futures industry. Thank you so much for joining me today on Futures Radio Show. It's a pleasure to, to be on the show. And oh, as you know, it's always great to talk to you, Anthony. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on FuturesRadioShow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.